Welcome to Beauty Uncut, the podcast. I'm Shania. I'm Kayla. And I'm Ian. And we're here to bring a new perspective to beauty. Well, guys, we're in a new location. Amazing. We're leveling up. We've gone from the office to my house. (laughs) (laughs) I like the table. It's very nice. I feel like I like this dynamic. I can see Ian. I can see Shania. I'm loving it. There's a lot more space too. Yes. Mm. Even though we had a bigger table at the other place. Yeah. But a lot of, I think we only used probably half of that table. It was like 11. There was a lot happening there too. So there was. Well, I'm not sure what this podcast episode is about, but I have a problem. What? I have smelly feet. I do too sometimes. No. Like all the time? I feel like it's just my feet. Just like I I take my shoes off all the time. I feel like, you know, it's normal if you're like exercising and you like get sweaty feet and then they smell. I could be 9 a.m. in the clinic. I take my shoes off and I'm like, oh, so sorry, my feet smell. Like, why am I got smelly feet at 9 a.m. in the morning? Is it your feet or is it your shoes? Oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm is pretty sure a- it's your shoes because the smell comes from bacteria. And surely after you've just showered, you don't have bacteria on your feet. Yeah, it's probably your shoes. Oh, well, whatever it is, it <laughs> smells. It smells so sour. I'm like, oh so- my God. It's like a real sour stench. You should you should I, get feet deodorant. Oh, well, I didn't know there was such thing as feet yeah, deodorant. Yeah, I saw it at the pharmacy. Why didn't you pick it up for me? Well, I actually did pick it up for myself <laughs> and I haven't used it. It's been sitting in my cabinet. Do you want to try it? I'm going to try it. I'll buy yeah. it myself, but I'll try it. <laughs> it's like so random. You don't strike me to be the person that has smelly feet. Really? Yeah, you're just oh, such thanks. a good like, clean girl aesthetic. And I I mean, I, ho- I hope I don't have a dirty girl aesthetic, but I just feel if anyone's going to have smelly feet here, it's probably me. Actually, I want to, if when you try that foot deodorant, I want you to do a half, one foot trial with that. So you'll sniff each other. And another, <laughs> no, I wasn't going to go that far, but another foot uh, trial with these wipes I got oh, for, you, for anti-sweating. Oh, okay. I've never tried them. What, but, what's with but, you guys buying these products and then never trying them? I don't know. True. Well, yes, I will happily do a trial. Cool. Where do you get it from? I just ordered those online on Amazon. Of course what's, you did. What's in the wipes? I don't know. <laughs> it, came, <laughs> it came as part of my anti-sweating pack. Remember when I bought that Dr. Sweat? Yes. Uh, anti-perspirant? Yes. It mm. came with these wipes as well. Oh, so cool. I just never tried them. Oh, okay. <laughs> we should do a whole podcast on smelly feet and the products that there's out there for it. Well, I mean, the first sweat podcast was season one. It was a while ago, so yeah, it might be time to revisit. <laughs> we did say we were going to talk about other parts of the body yeah. sweating. Well, I, you know, I have explained where I've sweated, like where I commonly sweat, but, you know, I feel like you guys don't tell us. We're not as open. Yeah, you know, I'm like, guys, I'm sweating from like every crevice in my body, but you guys seem not to sweat. Feel that. <laughs> Just <laughs> <my green>. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Ian, you wanted to discuss something today yeah i thought it would be a good topic to discuss because it's really it stemmed from an event that occurred in the clinic which i wasn't there for but the story was just relayed to me so i was hoping that you guys could tell the story and then we can get into the the meat of the podcast the nitty-gritty yeah (laughs) so i had a patient come in today and they were wanting a specific type of anti-wrinkle and obviously in our clinic we have several types and they all kind of have their good things about them and so I usually will, you know, ask them in the consult if they do have a preference if they've had something in the past 
but I'll always still explain like the difference Mm. between each one and that like you can technically try any one that you want because you'll never know until you try what the best one will be for you. For someone who's a a new anti-wrinkle patient, would you encourage them to each time try a different one or do you think that would interfere with their overall result just so that they get to know what each one's like? I think it really depends and it depends how often they're coming in Mm. and I guess there's there's a lot of factors but technically first I offer them what we have as our kind of premium product. I feel like everyone does respond to each of these anti-wrinkle products differently. Mm. I think it really depends, yeah. I think most of the time I feel like from my experience now I know how, for example, different age groups react to different Mm. types. Okay. So so it's interesting that you can find that consistency with different demographics because it might come down to that or it might just be the individual themselves, in which case it's a lot harder to predict how they're going to react. I also feel like it comes down to the area of the face as well. Like I know that I prefer product A Mm -hmm. in like my chin, for example, but I prefer product B in my forehead for, you know, I feel like it really just depends on the area of the face. I don't know if that's just my mind or if that's true, but. Well, I think in, in really basic terms, some of the different products are diluted in a different fashion. Mm. So if you're injecting equivalent units, you're getting more volume from one than from another Mm -hmm. and you're going to have more diffusion effect. Yeah. And so I think that really plays into the overall result as well, which is why people find the, the ones where you are diluting with different volumes, they find them different. Yeah. How come some people find that one product works for them and the other product doesn't? Do you guys believe in that? Or is it like, could it be multifactorial that it didn't work because there wasn't enough of a dose or? It's a big debate. It's a huge debate. Yeah. And like as a, I mean, you're a primary injector. I'd be keen to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, I think definitely there's just so many factors that it can come down to, but at the end of the day, like you don't know until you try. And yeah, that's the thing. Like the big thing is, you know, what dose is going to work for you. And when people come in for an appointment, especially on their first time, it's a big thing to explain, okay, like this is going to be a journey. We're probably not going to get it right on the first go, Mm -hmm. but at least we'll kind of come up with a dose that might work for today. See how you go. We'll get you back for a review. And then next time, if you're wanting to tweak let's say you want a little bit more of a dose or a little bit less of a dose, at least, you know, staying within that safe zone for the next time, you'll know how to tweak that dose and make it a better experience for the client then. Yeah. And and I did similar when I was injecting, I would say, I always want to under treat. I'd rather under treat than over treat because over treating is harder to deal with. Whereas under treating, you can always give more. Yeah. And so that until you find that sweet spot for the patient, I think that's the the way to go. And just trying different things. I, some patients you will have who are really open-minded and they're like, oh yeah, I'll try this product now. And then I'll try a different product later to see what it's like. Mm-hmm. Others are a little bit more difficult and they're going to come in and want their specific dose the very first time you're seeing them with a specific product. And I think those patients are harder to deal with because you need to have a little bit of an open mind, I think, when you start dosing this. Yeah, but I sure. feel like also when you find a product and dose that you love, it's so hard to like steer away from that. Like I mm. recently had a new injectable product 
and it only lasted a couple of weeks for me. And so I mentioned trying it again. I'm like, well, no, I'm not going to waste yeah. having needles pricked in my face just to try a product. No way. I'm out. It's like when you find a skincare hair. that you love. I was going to say a, a barber or, oh. but yeah, skincare. <laughs> so it's, it's the same, the same sort of thing. You, you're afraid it's the devil, you know, right? It's yeah. better than the devil you don't. I would love to get you guys' opinion because we also had this happen in clinic recently with one of our staff members. She had anti-wrinkle and it didn't last as long as she would have liked. And the scripting doctor didn't want to retreat at that like two to four week mark because of building up a resistance. I'd never heard of that and I don't think you had really – I mean I know getting it too close together can build a resistance or whatever, but I didn't know – at a review, you're not supposed. Well, he didn't recommend mm. doing a touch up. It really depends. So I think what you're talking about, it was like actually, I think it was around four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. But because we were doing a larger, what we planned to do was quite like a an average dose. Mm-hmm. Let's say like th- someone would come in for, you know, the first time in three to four mm-hmm. months after their last, and so because it was a closer time frame than three to four months mm-hmm. because it was a big dose and too close together, It's you can build that resistance within your body. So, but how? Because what about if you get your forehead done? I know it's not the same area, but if you get your forehead done and then four weeks later you get your masseters done, they're two big areas with two lots of big doses of injectables. Like that's still anybody's going into your body, right? Mm-hmm. How would it know? This is this is a controversial topic. <laughs> so I think – you know, now that we've sort of broached the subject, toxin resistance, mm. how does it happen? Is it real? I think that's a debate that's ongoing as well. Um, what do you guys think? Well, Shania firsthand has anti-wrinkle resistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like it's real. I think it's real. I think there's a few ways that you can get it. But, yeah, I think my case, it's very, like, hard to pinpoint. Mm. So it really just depends on the situation. But, you know, we've had patients who have had, you know, Botox for years and then all of a sudden it's just not working for them anymore. It's interesting because any resistance, it obviously comes from the proteins and you develop antibodies against that. And so what, your body fights off, like when what you inject the product, it fights it off and it's like, no, you're not coming in my muscle. Essentially. Oh. Well, it it renders it ineffective. Yeah. So it it can still bind, but that binding is going to do nothing. Right. And so that science that's been proven that can happen with toxin because of the way it's the chemical makeup. But then you've got other injectors who are very senior injectors who argue tooth and nail that it's all about the dose and it's about the injector and they don't believe in resistance. So mm-hmm. this is what I find interesting because there's definitely anecdotal evidence. And obviously if you've had that issue yourself, you know, you're, you are anecdotal evidence. But why people argue so strongly against that, that it doesn't, they say that it just doesn't exist at all when there are definitely cases. Mm. What, can you, sure. what can you do for resistance? Actually, before you answer that question, is it people with like suppressed immune systems, you know, maybe if you get injectables when you're sick or like why like can certain people gain a resistance? That's a good question. I think that that's beyond me. I think an immunologist would be able to answer that question mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, if you're immunocompromised when you have your injection, we talked about vaccination before mm-hmm. with the COVID vax affecting your your toxin resistance as well. So I'm sure there's some sort of complex relationship there, but uh, I'm not sure. 
Yeah, it, it gets very sciencey when you get to that point. Yeah. I think, so, do you think maybe to prevent like a resistance or trying to avoid it is like maybe when you know how I feel like we all started doing anti wrinkle quite young, maybe as we always say, treat that skin first by doing, you know, your micro-needling RF and your M-face and things like that before going on to injectables or even, you know, so that you can do your injectables less times per year, do these treatments complementary yep. to it so that you don't build up a resistance. Well, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, if I could go back, like obviously we're wanting to dissolve certain areas of our filler It's it's and then, you know, work on our skin. Yeah. I think definitely like if I could go back. I would do it that way for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree too. Controversial suggestion from a business point of view, especially (laughs) in the view of the toxin companies. But I do think, and I've always said that I would prefer, and which is why I've never had anti-wrinkle, I would prefer to treat the skin and work with what's there before I introduce something else. Mm -hmm. For sure. But the other thing that I wanted to bring up with the resistance was that there's different types or different formulations of botulinum toxin and each brand uses a different different one and so they have different proteins i've heard that some are more prone to developing I've antibodies heard that than as well. others yeah so that would typically be like anti-wrinkle type a is that right like bot- botulinum toxin yes yeah and then something like anti-wrinkle type c and d which are two of like the newer players on the market, they are less likely to cause a resistance, right? Yeah, so I think C, what you're referring to, the scientific name being incobotulinum toxin. Right. And the product D, I'm not 100% sure of its protein. Yeah, it's a new one. But but yeah, both of those I think were designed with that in mind so that they would be less uh, susceptible. Yeah, so maybe like, you know, if you're younger, would you be better off doing products C and D so that you don't build up a resistance and then maybe later on in life doing A and B or not, it doesn't work like that. Well, I'm yeah. not sure. I, I mean, I think it depends on how regularly you're going to be yeah. getting it because yeah. if, if you're, just, you're getting it a one-off, you know, mm. once a year, even, I don't think it's going to be such a problem, mm-hmm. but if you're doing it that every three months or, or even more frequently, then maybe that's a good idea. Yeah. I guess it's just, you know, when we're talking about the resistance, obviously the debate still exists and I don't think there's ever going to be any real consensus on it. As long as there's people making money off the product, they're going to push it mm-hmm. regardless of what the the facts are. And I'm not saying, you know, they're, they're evil for it, but I think that as consumers, patients really need to look at it objectively. Talk to your injector about all the different products available. Talk to them about your goals, about how frequently you want to be having treatment and they can help you work out the best product for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just quickly, you know how um, wearing the glass tox facial in our clinic where it's where you, you know, superficially inject toxin into the superficial layers of the skin. Can you build up like a resistance by doing things like that or no, not really because it's not being injected into the muscle? Well, it's acting on the smooth muscle of your superficial right. blood vessels. So potentially yes, but Again, that's getting way too much into the science for me. (laughs) Fine. All right. (laughs) Well, to wrap up the podcast, should we talk about our favorite anti-wrinkle product? I'm kidding. (laughs) 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 Go around in circles and say, which one is yours? No. Well, what's our favorite bougie and broke product of the week? I bet Ian hasn't tried anything new that's broke, have you? Oh, my God, I've tried one. (gasps) Wait, what's what's the category? The hair thing. Have you tried it? 
Oh, no, I haven't. Hair mask. Mm. No, I haven't. Well, let's do hair mask edition. Okay. Have you ever used a hair mask? Nope. <gasps> All right. Well, maybe after this you'll um, end up using a hair mask. All right. Educate me. Yeah. So you know how you've got you got shampoos, conditioners, like heat protectants, etc. A hair mask is basically like a face mask for your face, but yeah. it's for your hair. So typically they're, they're like super deeply hydrating. So you put it on after you cleanse? After you shampoo and condition, I pop it on my ends, like mid-lengths to ends, and then I wash it out. How long do you leave it in? Like 10, 15 minutes. Or maybe, you know what, sometimes I Mm -hmm. even just dampen my hair, pop it in and wear it for a day and then wash it off at night. Right, interesting. Yeah. So you're basically lengthening my morning routine even further. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's so good though. Can I say my one? Yeah, go. Okay, so this one is $19.99 from Amazon Japan. Hell yeah. It is the Shiseido Premium Touch Hair Mask. Oh, is it Shiseido? Well, it must be that under that brand, but it's called Fino. Fino? I don't know. The rest of it is Japanese. Basically, we'll link it, right? Yeah. It's... Like I actually noticed the next day. So like I washed it at night and then blow dried it. And then the next day after that, my hair was super like soft and shiny. Even when I was like putting it through, like rinsing it through my hair that night, like my hair just felt like soft and just like smooth. Buttery. Very much buttery. And just like, it's almost like I had a keratin treatment. Oh, I'm going to try it. Mm. Sharina was reading the packaging though. And she said it had steroids in it. Or like hormones. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. What was the actual... I don't have a clue. I threw out the Australian label. <laughs> <laughs> rather not know. Yeah, so rather that's probably know. not the best. It's prob- I mean, am but... I, well, I'm worried because I'm such a hairy girl that if I like get it like dripping down my back then I'm going to start growing back hair. Well, no, I mean, if it's steroids, it could be some, something like corticosteroids. So, mm. I mean, that's not going to harm you if it drips down your back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you guys know. <laughs> What's your bougie product? Bougie would be the okay. Wait, I need to get the name of it. Do you want to say yours? Yeah, I'll say mine. I completely have blanked. What's that shampoo and conditioner brand that we've been loving? Evolus. Evolus. I'm so sorry. (laughs) The one that we have a discount code. That one. So my broke product is the Evolus hair mask in the Protect range. I believe it is thirty dollars, and then with the Beauty Uncut discount code, it comes down to like twenty four dollars. I think. It is so good. As you guys might know uh, from a couple podcasts back, I was going through some weird hair shit and my hair was like snapping left, right and center. It looked thin, fragile, you know, you name it. I love the Evolus hair range and I love a mask. So that's probably my favorite like broke product. I don't think I've tried that one. Yeah, I don't think you got it. I think I was the only one that got it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Mm. What's your bouge? Okay, my bouge. It's the Wild by Oscar. So it's by like the Oscar Oscar Salon's owner. It's the Moisture Restore Mask. It's $58. And I use this as like my conditioner. Mm. Like it's a mask, but I use it as my conditioner every time I wash my hair because it's just like, I I feel like as my hair like strands and just in general is so thick that I need like, a really dense like conditioner type. Yeah. So it works really well for me. I'm surprised you didn't say um Kerastase. I feel like you're a Well it's Kerastase it's kind ho. of like in that same thing because yeah. I buy it from Oscar Oscar. Yeah. So I buy my shampoo from Kerastase and then Your mask from Oscar. I don't think Oscar. do they have masks? Yeah, they Kerastase? definitely do. Mm. 
Interesting. There's a bottle of Kerastase in the clinic. Whose is that? Oh, that's Karen's. Karen's. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I assumed it was yours. (laughs) (laughs) I have two favourite Bouge products for hair mask. Oh, actually, I think I used one of them last time. Did I talk about the... Purology? Yeah, I no. Uh, it was shampoos last time. Yeah. Mm, anyway, I don't know. Anyway, I'll just oh, go yeah, with this anyway, one. Yeah. This is the K18 Leave-In Molecular Repair Hair Mask. So it's $100 for a little tiny-ass bottle. Mm-hmm. Kills me. But it's a leave-in hair treatment that helps reverse chemical and physical damage to hair. So I don't really know the vibes of it, but every hairdresser I talk to say it's incredible. It uses like a patented bioactive peptide, which promises to reverse damage caused hair caused by like coloring. And, you know, I, I dye my hair all the time. Mm. It has some kind of protein in there to do something. (laughs) (laughs) Most hairdressers sell it, Adore Beauty sell it as well. K18. K18. Yeah. I'm surprised you don't have it. Yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah. I feel like I need that. Mm, it's great. They only have two products, I think. That, like, yeah. Oh. Anyways. Cool. Let's wrap it up. Let's do it. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast on Botox resistance and smelly feet. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to follow us on our socials. All the information will be in the description. And don't forget to leave us a review. And we'll see you in our next podcast. Bye. Bye. Bye.